in my own I am on awesome hey good to see you I hope you are having a great morning uh, already and uh, I'm glad it's a little cooler in here aren't you Yes, you are. I know you are. Um, listen, we're glad that you've uh, joined, chosen to join us this morning, and welcome back, church family, and uh, we hope that you've had a good week, and we're going to have a great time worshiping the Lord this morning. Obviously, we've started doing that already um, by way of our songs, and we've got more music ahead of us. We're going to be praying. We're going to hear God's words spoken to us. We're going to have an opportunity to give. Lots of opportunities for us to worship this morning um, in this place, and I hope for those of you who uh, were in Bible study at A15 that you had a great class 
class this morning, and those of you who are headed to class at 11, um, that you're making plans to do that as well. Because when we worship together in a place like this, it's good, but it's really good to get together in smaller groups and to study the Bible together and pray and grow together. And that's what we want to emphasize here at Central. So we're glad that uh, all of us are here this morning. If you're new with us, welcome to Central Baptist Church. And we're glad that you chose to join us here this morning. When you came in today, right in front of you where you're seated or around where you're seated, there's a little white card that is a guest information card. And we just love to get a record of your visit here so we can follow up with you and find out how we can pray for you, minister to you in any way. So if you wouldn't mind just filling that out during the service today, and then at the end of the service, you can either bring it to me or you can drop it in one of the boxes there as you're leaving today near the doorways. So you can just put that in there and those, get, those will get back to our office, okay? Hey, listen, let's have a great service together and let's gather our hearts together this morning first and foremost and let's talk to the Lord, okay? Let's pray. God, as we talk to you this morning, we first and foremost worship you through our singing as we came in this morning. We're here today, Lord, to worship you. We're here today, God, to pour out our hearts and our minds and our souls to you. We just want you to know that we love you. We're here today because of the expression of our love towards you this morning. Just our presence here today, God, I pray, um, communicates to you that we genuinely want to seek you and to know you and to hear from you and to respond to you. So would you bless this service? Would you put your hand of favor upon us in every way? And God, just put your blessing on us as we worship you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with us and let's sing and worship.
stop seeking fulfillment anywhere else but you. Because I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Cross before. Cross before. As we pray this morning, I want to invite those of you who want to come forward and pray with me here to, at the front. Um, but I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you are seated and you want to stay seated, that's fine. Um, but what I want to ask you to do this morning is, uh, you know, if you've got a burden on your heart that you just want someone to pray for, someone to pray about that's around you, um, I just want you to slip up your hand. Um, you can, with your heads bowed, eyes closed, no one's looking around. Um, but uh, if you've got a burden on your heart this morning, maybe it's an individual, maybe it's a decision you've got to make, maybe it's a health need, something that God is, or that you're burdened about, you need breakthrough over. Just slip up your hand. We've got some hands all around the worship center, okay? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, those of you who are praying here at the front, I want you to join me. We're going to pray, and we're going to ask the Lord to move in, uh, in that and ask the Lord to... Um, break through those areas in our lives that we're praying about, okay? Maybe it's an individual needs salvation. Maybe it is someone who needs um, uh, just a decision that is a very tough decision. There are hands that were up all over our worship center this morning, so we want to pray for that. Will you join me? <clears throat> God, we've been praying this morning. We've been singing this morning to you. These songs that we've been singing have reminded us of who you are. 
reminded us of your grace, reminded us of your mercy. Father, you have reminded us, God, of what you have done by sending your son Jesus into the world. Jesus, what you did on the cross for us and from the grave and what we remember, God, when we read your word is that Jesus, you give us incredible victory over sin. You give us victory over the struggle of sin in our lives. You give us victory over death. For Jesus, you rose from the dead and you've given us reason to gather here this morning to sing, to worship, to pray, to come boldly to your throne. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the access that God you give to us today. We're here, Lord, not because we have earned it, not because we have deserved it, but because, God, you have welcomed us into your presence, and you are here with us this morning. We thank you for your presence, Lord. We thank you that we don't sing songs to empty air. We don't pray to a false or a fake God but we pray and we sing to a God who is living, a God who is active, a God who is moving, a God who is present in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, you are here, you are present, and you are near to us. You're not far off, you're not distracted, and we don't understand how you're not, for Lord, there are billions of people on this planet, there is so much in the universe, and yet, Lord, you are attentive to our voices, to our hearts, to our prayers, to our local church. We thank you, Lord, that you do move. And we come to you, Lord, because we know and understand in our own hearts we've sinned and we've made mistakes in our lives. We've drifted from you. We've sinned against you. Things that we've said or done or attitudes that we've developed in our hearts, things that we've thought about, Lord, that haven't pleased or honored you. Lord, we are so sorry this morning for our sins. We confess and we repent of these sins before you this morning. God, at the same time, Lord, we believe that you're a God who answers prayer. You're a God who moves when when his people pray. You've shown us that time and time again in your word. For Lord, we know and understand that when we open the Bible, you tell us that, God, we have not because we ask not. We see countless times, Lord, when your your people come together collectively and you move powerfully, you manifest your presence among us. You change our hearts, you change our minds, you redirect our attention back to you, Lord Jesus. And so we pray for those of us who are around us, Lord, who've slipped their hands up, who need breakthrough over a particular decision. God, would you give them wisdom to make those decisions? We pray for those people in in the lives of those that have been praying, God, who need help, whether it's an addiction or whether it's someone who needs salvation or someone who needs a medical need resolved, God, or help in some way. God, we pray that you would move, that you would be merciful, that you would be very kind to the people that we're praying for, and that you would move in their lives. God, we pray for wisdom and direction in life. Lord, so many who raise their hands, Lord, need help in direction. They need help, Lord, in understanding, God, what you're saying and what you're doing. And so, Lord, I just pray that, and we collectively pray that you would move in that as well. 
God, maybe it's an area of sin in their, their individual life. They just cannot break. And for whatever reason, Lord, the things of the world and our flesh just continues to pull us back into that lifestyle, and we just pray for breakthrough. We pray that you would remind us of your grace and mercy, but the almighty power of Jesus Christ in our lives to break those cycles of sin and temptation, that we would follow you. Father, we're praying to you because we know and understand that apart from you working, apart from you moving, it will not happen. And so, God, we just come to you and we pray for these things. And we ask you, God, to move in them until you move, until you speak, until you lead, until you direct our path. And so we give you this time now, Lord, for you to bless this time, that you would move upon uh, your word, that you would speak to us, and that you would help us, God, to understand what it is that you're saying to us. And before we close today, would you just pray for me? Would you just take a moment, a few seconds, and just pray that, that I would be obedient to what God wants me to say to you this morning? Father, thank you for our time of prayer. We ask God for your blessing on the preaching of your word today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can return to your seats. Thank you so much. This morning, I want to encourage you to take a Bible and turn with me to the book of Matthew. We are in a series, and we're about to wrap this series up called Church Talks. And on Sunday mornings, we've been looking at various passages of Scripture just during these summer weeks, these last few weeks of August, before we move into a new book of the Bible here this fall. But in the last few weeks, we've been looking at various passages talking about who we are and where we're going. This morning, we're going to talk about our mission as a church. We've looked at various passages and, and topics or particular things that God, I believe, wants us to understand and know about. But this morning, we're going to look, about, look what the Bible says about us and how what God has called us to be is a disciple-making people. We are called to be a disciple-making church. We're called to be a disciple-making people. And you say, well, you know, that's for someone else. No, it's for all of us. It's collectively for us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, God has called you, you are a follower of Jesus, and what's God's mission for you upon your life and his mission collectively upon your family, his mission collectively upon our congregation is to be a disciple-making body or a con congregation who makes disciples. I, I love a friend of mine talk, calls us, uh, says it this way, he says, we're all rescued people who are called to be rescuers of other people. We're called, we're rescuers, rescued, called to be rescuers of other people. That's what God's called us to, to be about and called us to what we're called to do. You know, if I were to ask you this question, as you're turning there, if I were to ask you this question, what are we about as a church? Well, we'd have a lot of different opinions on that. You know, if, if I had not just said what I said, We'd have a lot of different opinions about what we're called to do and what we're called to be as a church. Um, I think that, um, you know, if, if I ask any church, why do we exist? We'll get a variety of different, why, we get a variety of different um, of answers. Some would say we're called to glorify God. Yes, we are called to glorify God, but the local church has a mission. The local church has been given marching orders. The local church has been given a directive. I think we would all understand that the final words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 to his disciples are our marching orders. Um, no church, 
Here's the encouraging thing. No church, whether you're in Africa or you're in sub-Sahara Africa or whether you're in, in South Asia or whether you're in Europe or in Antarctica for all, that, uh, for all that matters, or you're in Livingston, Texas, has to figure out what we are called to do. God has a plan. We don't have to figure out what the plan is. God has a plan for how we're to live our lives. And our, our job is to figure out what that plan is, to surrender to it, to engage it, and then to follow it. It's as simple as that. And so collectively, how we structure our ministries, how I think about my Bible study class, how I think about what I'm called to do as an individual in my church, or how I'm supposed to think collectively as a church, we're called to surrender to God's plan, to engage in God's plan, to then follow God's plan. Let me ask you this question, and I'm, this is an interactive moment here, okay, you ready? If you came to Central Baptist Church, no matter if it was 100 years ago, no one came 100 years ago. You didn't get that. And no matter how long ago you came to Central Baptist Church, if you came from another local church, raise your hand. If you came to Central Baptist Church from another local church, there are more of you in this room who came from local churches. If you're a member of our church and you were a member of another local church somewhere, raise your hand. Now look around the room, up in the balcony and down below. So many hands have gone up. Here's the thing about that. All of us come from local churches. Most all of us do. There are some of us in the room, a lot of us in the room that didn't grow up in a local church and maybe Central Baptist Church is the very first church you ever walked into that you were a part of. But the fact of the matter is we, most of us in the room came from local churches. You know what every church has, every local church has? It has an identity. The churches we come from shape our idea of what a church is supposed to be. The type of music, our preferences, what, what a Bible study class is supposed to look like, what the preacher is supposed to wear, what he's not supposed to wear, what the musicians are supposed to do, what they're not supposed to do, what type of instrument should be on stage, what they shouldn't, what shouldn't be on stage, what color of the carpet should be, what type of chairs we're sitting in, whether it should be cool or hot, or whether what the lobby should look like or what it shouldn't look like, what the website looks like or what it shouldn't look like. We have all kinds of ideas of what a local church is supposed to be and what it's supposed to do. The fact of the matter is when we open our Bibles, what we come to understand and recognize is that we need clarity as a congregation regularly in our lives. We need clarity about who we are, who we follow, what, who we are, and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live out our our work here in our church. And so what God calls us to understand is that this is more than a gathering on Sunday morning. What we do on Sunday mornings is more than just getting together. There is something deeper. There's something more significant in our lives that we need to understand and we need to see. What God calls us to is this mission. I want you to open your Bibles and there in your Bibles. I'm going to start actually in verse 16, and I'm going to read here at the very end of Matthew chapter 28. Look with me in your Bibles. It says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, and this is what Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
You know, we remember the final moments in our lives. I remember when I left Virginia and moved to Texas, not a few years ago, but when I was really young. My dad got saved at a church in Virginia, and he was a principal at the time. He was in school, and then he gets saved, and then a few years later feels called in the ministry. I remember riding in the front seat of a rider truck as we were driving out of our neighborhood, and I can still remember as a very young boy looking to my left and seeing a friend of mine standing in the yard waving at me, and I was a very young child on my way to Texas. I remember that. We remember when, I remember when I got married, the day that I got married. I remember the, for all four of my sons when they were born. I remember that day very vividly. I remember the day in which I stood here a little over a year ago, literally right here, and married my oldest son off to another young lady who's a great girl. And I remember these things, right? We remember these big moments in our life. We remember the specific words that people say to us who have, that have significant meaning to us. What we need to understand is when we think about what Jesus is doing here is that, that, that Jesus' last impression upon his disciples, the last words upon the, wor- upon the disciples' lives were the most significant words in which he had spoken to them. There was no confusion in the eyes of, or, or in, the, in, the, in the minds of the disciples. It was clear and it was very concise about what Jesus says. And he spoke to the disciples about what their identity was to be, what they were called to do. And this is the formulation of the church and what is going to be the church. He gave them their marching orders. And what God does for us is he gives us our marching orders. This is our mission. We're a disciple-making people. And what we learn in these few verses and what Jesus lays out for his disciples, what God lays out for us is who we are to follow, what we're called to do, and where we're called to do it. Who it is that we're called to follow. What Jesus said was that you are to follow me. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples. Look with me again at verse 18. At the beginning of verse 18, he says, and Jesus, it says, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now backing up to verse 16 and 17, what Jesus has already said to them. What he's already laid out to them is he has been leading them and told them that he would meet them here in Galilee. And so in verse 16, it says, and the 11 disciples, remember, there's now 11 of these guys. They go to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. He had told them to go to this particular place at this particular time. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. It says, and some doubted. They're still struggling with all that's going on here, but they're worshiping him. And so this is the posture in which they come to Jesus. This is where they are in their minds and in their hearts towards their Savior. Now, what do they already know? They know that he's walked with them all of these years, these three years. They know what he has said to them along the way as he has led them. They know that he suffered He was arrested and he suffered and he died on the cross and he was buried for three days in the tomb. They know that he was dead. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about the fact that he suffered. There's also no doubt about the fact that he's standing in front of them. And he's come to them already a couple times already. He's appeared to hundreds more. And, And what he's done already, he's alive in front of them. And they know that he has already conquered death. And they know that he has conquered sin in this way. And they're standing there as though, what do we do next? They have no idea and understanding of what Jesus is about to say to them. And the first thing out of the gate that he says to them is, all authority belongs to me. Jesus says, all authority belongs to him. And so in this risen state, we understand what Jesus is saying. 
What he's not saying is that everything prior to this day, before me, I wasn't in charge of that. No, he's been in charge of it all. But he's saying in this risen state, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I love the passage in in the book of Philippians. And we're going to look at that later this fall. But it says in Philippians chapter 2 about Jesus. This is what it says in verse 7. It says, but Jesus emptied himself when he left heaven by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is what Jesus does. He leaves heaven. He takes off the, the, the God clothes, if you will, or the, the Jesus clothes in that sense. And he comes in the likeness of men. He walks on earth with, with us, with humanity. He takes on flesh. He does all that he does, and, and God, God then gives him all of this authority. Look at verse 9, or in verse 9 in Philippians 2, it says this, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus goes from heaven to earth, walks on earth, goes to the cross, dies on the cross, rises from the dead. What does the God the Father do? He exalts his son. And what's happening here in this risen state in verse 18 is that Jesus is, impri- is, imp- is, is imprinting on the disciples' minds and hearts that he has the authority to say what he's about to say, to tell them what they're about to do and their life's work. And it's out of that. God has, Jesus has this honor. He has this authority. And out of that, he gives them their marching orders. It's not optional. This isn't something that they should add to their life. It's not something that they should somehow put into their life. This is what they're called to do, how they're called to live, how they're called to think. It's all about making disciples. And what they're called to do is their mission is to make disciples who make disciples. What does it mean for us? It means that this, Jesus himself, becomes our cornerstone. Like my preferences, what I wish, what I want, what everything that happened in my past and what's God doing, what's happening in my present, what my future looks like, everything depends on the authority of Jesus Christ now. And so when I think about my life and we think about our church, what Jesus gets is my undivided attention. If he has all the authority, then whatever he says and whatever he says to do, wherever he says to go, however he says to do it, he gets my undivided attention. And so the first thing we understand about our church and what we think about when it comes to our congregation, when I think about my family, my marriage, when I think about my kids, when I think about my relationships with other people, I think first and foremost, Jesus is the one who gets my undivided attention. Everything I do, how I live, the decisions that I make in my, in my, in my community, in, in my job, in my workplace, in my home, with my time, everything filters through the authority of Jesus Christ. What does he want? What does he say? Not what I want. I have preferences just like you and I, you have preferences. But it's not a matter of my preferences. It's a matter of what Jesus Christ says first and foremost. He gets my undivided attention. Jesus has all of the authority. That's who we follow, which leads then to what we do. Look at what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus then goes and says, not only is all authority in heaven and earth been given to me, he says, therefore, in verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations. When I think about this, I think about the fact that there was a moment in time when these men were not disciples of Jesus. 
They were not followers of Jesus, but they had become followers of Jesus. At this point, they have Jesus' undivided attention. He has their undivided attention, and Jesus is here, and he is speaking to them. They are followers of Jesus Christ. In order for you to make disciples, you've got to be a disciple, right? I mean, there are some of us in the room this morning that haven't yet followed Jesus Christ with your heart and with your mind and with your soul. That's what Jesus Christ wants first. He wants you to be a disciple. And then when you become a disciple, then you make disciples. And this is what Jesus is saying to his, who is these men here. It's what God says to us here this morning. We're called to make disciples who make disciples. He told them what to do. What is a disciple? Is simply a follower. The end product of a disciple is someone who is devoted, someone who is growing, someone who is multiplying themselves in the lives and the hearts of others. And all of it is, is assuming that we follow Jesus Christ with our heart and with our minds and with our souls. And that's our invitation into the Christian community. Well, how do we make disciples? Well, we share life, the life of Christ, first and foremost. You see, the, the clear directive here is not go. A lot of people say go. It's actually as you go. In other words, as you, in the daily rhythms of life, as you go to work tomorrow morning, make disciples. As you go and you go to the market or you go to the store, make disciples. As you go on vacation with your RV and you go RVing with your, your, your group, you make disciples. As you're on vacation and you don't, you're not around our church family, but you're with other people that you interact with, make disciples. As you go to school tomorrow morning and you go into the junior high or you go to elementary school or you go to high school and you walk into that school, you make disciples. God puts you and I in specific communities and specific groups that no one else can reach. We make disciples. They were to make disciples first and foremost by baptism, right? Look at the text with me. It says there in verse 18, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. The baptism is simply the visible statement that you and I have become a follower of Jesus Christ. It's the first act of obedience in our lives. It's the first act of going public about your faith in Jesus Christ. The thing is, sometimes we get that out of order. I remember a few years ago at a church I was serving at, just a few years ago at the church, last church I served at, there was a man that came to me after the service. He was about 78 years old. And he comes up to me. He was a charter member of our church. It's incredible. He was 78 years old. And he walks up to me and he just says, Pastor Sonny, I just, I just feel like, you know, when I was 10 years old, my grandmother drugged me up the aisle at Vacation Bible School. And I feel like... I didn't know what I was doing, and I really didn't become a follower of Jesus. But you know what? I was baptized the next Sunday. And he said, you know what? Later in life, I came to faith in Jesus Christ, and now I want to be baptized. It's the fact of the matter is, it's when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, then you're baptized. You don't get baptized and then become a follower of Jesus Christ. That you just got wet. But what baptism is, is a public display of a decision that you've already made inside of your heart, that you've identified with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God says, and Jesus is saying here, go and make disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, and then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What disciples do is they learn what are they are to say. We are to learn how to share our faith were to influence the people around us. I think what's remarkable to me is how different people live their lives. 
You might be a lake person or you might be, you know, an ocean person. Maybe you're a mountain person. Maybe you like to ride bikes, bicycles. You're a cyclist. Maybe you really love to work out and you're in the gym like several hours a week. Maybe you love to RV and you're in an RV community. But have you ever noticed how many dozens, if not hundreds of subcultures are in our society and in our culture today? Some people are really into politics. Someone don't, some people don't even want to want even pay attention to politics. Some people are really into sports. Some people are not into sports. Some people are in band and others don't, can't even you know, sing a lick or play an instrument. I mean, there are all kinds of different subcultures. Some are firefighters or police officers or in the government because we have all kinds of different subcultures in our society. We live our lives in completely different ways. But what God does is he strategically takes you, a follower of Jesus Christ, and he puts you in somewhere where you have enjoyed in that particular area and which I cannot reach. People around you in this, that are seated around you cannot reach, but God has put you in that particular subculture so that you can reach them. He puts you on the front lines of making disciples of others. And the greatest way in which we do that, and the greatest way in which we reach people in which God has placed us is you. You are on the front lines of that. So we're called to make be disciples that make disciples of all people. How do we do that? Personal evangelism is to learn how to share our faith and then to share it as best we can with others. I, what an incredible passage that we come to in the Acts chapter 2 when the church is birthed. It comes to the end and Peter has stood up and preached this message and it comes to the end of the sermon and there in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 it says this, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Prior to that what happens is at the end of his sermon it says that the people were cut to the heart. In other words, what did the gospel do? What did the good news of Jesus Christ do in that, that particular day among all of these people in Jerusalem? It cut them to the heart. There was conviction. There was conviction that they needed to turn and follow God. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to do it. And so they look at Peter and they say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says this to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what that simply means is this, they needed to turn, they needed to have a change of mind. That's what repentance is. They needed to acknowledge that they could not save themselves. They had to acknowledge that they, in their minds and in their hearts, could not fulfill what was necessary in order for them to be right in the eyes of God. So they had to repent, and then they had to believe in Jesus Christ. They had a change of their heart. They had to say, you know what, I can't live my life on my own. What must I do to be saved? And Jesus, or, or, then Peter says, repent and believe. Be baptized after, at that moment. And they had to believe first, and then they had to be baptized. You've got to get to a place in your life. We have to get to a place in our life that we understand the problem in the lives of people. I think we're really good at getting, that when we become followers of Jesus Christ and we get involved in a local church, and then we just kind of start to go on autopilot. When we come to church and we go home, we maybe hear a sermon, and then we go home, or we go to a Bible study class, and then we go home, or we serve a little bit, and then we go home, and we get into these rhythms, and we get into these routines, and we miss and lose sight of the fact that the problem, the real problem in our society, the real problem in Livingston, Texas, the real problem in Polk County, the real problem in America, the real problem around the world is the fact that we are cut off from God. 
and those of us in our family and those who are friends of ours, those that are in my school when I walk as a Christian down that particular hallway and I realize that probably 90% of the students all around me are not followers of Jesus Christ and and, and if I don't think about that, then it doesn't burden me. But you see, when I go to the RV park and I recognize that maybe most of the people, if not uh, many of the people around me, are not followers of Jesus Christ, or I'm out on the lake and maybe my neighbors or my neighborhood, the majority of the people in my neighborhood probably are maybe are not followers of Jesus Christ, that should burden me. That should burden us. That should at times cause me to pray and cry out to God that God would do something. God would use me. God would open doors. God would somehow move inside of me and stir me to want to do something, to pray towards that end, to open up the hearts and the minds of people that they would be saved. I got to understand the problem. Because when I understand that I have been rescued out of hell because of Jesus Christ... And I understand that the majority of the people around me are living their lives and they're making money and they're successful or they're not successful, but regardless of where they are and what type of of life that they find themselves in, if they've not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ and they're living their best life now, but there isn't the promise of an eternal life, the clock is just ticking. That should burden me. And so when I understand that my call, the God's call upon my life is to, as I go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then I've got to learn how to share my faith and then indeed learn or then indeed share my faith with others. This commission is not just sharing Jesus alone. I want you to remember and understand what the Bible's saying here, what Jesus says and goes on to say is, I'm to share Jesus with others. I'm as I go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But look at what Jesus says next. He says, then what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you don't know. You don't know much about the Bible. What you do know is that you were a sinner, and God has saved you. He's to release this burden from your life. But you don't know how to walk. You don't know how to talk. You don't know how to eat. You're like an infant in many ways. I was, when I first gave my life to Jesus Christ, I opened a Bible, I said, I don't even know where to turn to. I remember a few years ago leading this man to the Lord in in the area where we lived at and down in Southeast Texas, and it was a man who was an older man, and he looks at me, and he, after he gives his life to Christ, I mean, he was radically changed, and he looks at me, and he lived his whole life, and he'd worked this long career in one of the refineries down there, and he looked at me, and he goes, why is there a New Testament and an Old Testament? Like, that's where he was. I don't even know where to turn. That's how we are. And what God says and what Jesus is saying here is once we, be, we become followers of Jesus Christ, what he wants us to do is as a disciple, I teach truth. So I share the life of Jesus with others and I teach the truth of God's word with others as well. And so he says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded them. Be saved and I'm baptized, but I, there should be this intentional, systematic way in which I'm being taught the Bible you know what that does? It, it doesn't mean that you skip over the hard parts. You deal with the hard parts. One of the things that I love about what we call expository preaching, like preaching verse by verse through books of the Bible or through passages of Scripture, is you never have to worry about, you don't have to worry about whether I'm picking on you or not. Everyone's equal opportunity, including myself. 
Because when you're going verse by verse through passages of Scripture in the Bible, you don't get to cherry pick the passages that you want to preach from or that you want to hear You see, when you're going through books of the Bible, systematically, you're understanding what God is saying from start to finish. Whether it's something that you want to hear, it's something that you don't want to hear. Whether it's something I want to hear, it's something I want to or don't want to hear. I systematically go through the Bible in every way. And so what God says to me and what God says to us is that, you know, whether you are here to hear a sermon or you're counseled in the hallway or you teach the Bible, which is a high honor to be able to teach and have the privilege of teaching God's word, you want to teach it the right way. You want to say the right things. You want to be understand that what God wants you to say is the accurate things. When you teach the Bible, you don't teach for just information, We're really good at that in Baptist life, where we teach and we teach and we teach and we learn all kinds of Bible facts, but it doesn't transform us. What God wants is he wants us to be taught and he wants us to teach, and then he wants us to be taught in in light of being transformed by the word of God. I teach for transformation. I live to see someone who hears the Bible, then five weeks later, six weeks later, a year later, they look nothing like they did a while a year ago. Because they've internalized the Word of God, it's now changed their life, it's transforming their life, they're applying it to their everyday individual life, and they are now walking by faith. They're taking leaps and bounds, steps out of their comfort zone, and they're walking towards Jesus. That's what we want, Right? If you're a teacher in our church, then you want to be praying, you want to be preparing, you want to be ministering, you want to be doing all the things for life transformation. And so Jesus is saying here, he's saying, go into all the world, he says, sorry, he says, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. They were to share Christ, they were to teach truth. But notice there at the end what Jesus says to them. He says, I have, uh, he says <clears throat> in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I think what God wants us to do as a church, what Christ wants us to do as a church, is to pray together and to pray well and to pray often. I think about this passage, I think about what John 14 says to us. Jesus himself says this to his disciples. He said, these things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Reminded in Acts chapter 1 that the local church was not birthed out of a building. It wasn't birthed out of programs. It wasn't birthed out of budgets. It wasn't birthed out of pews or great music on stage or guitars or drums or great pianos or organs or great choirs. The local church was birthed out of a prayer meeting. It was birthed out of 120 people held up there in the upper room praying for God, what are you wanting to do next? What are you going to do next? Jesus had told them to go back to Jerusalem and start praying. Start praying towards me and what God says there to us in Acts chapter 1 is they prayed together and they prayed in one accord, meaning they prayed the same things to the same God and they expected the same results and God moved. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God comes, the church is birthed. We see that God moves in powerful ways. 
Peter stands up and preaches the sermon. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he says, Repent therefore and be baptized, every one of you. That day thousands of people are saved, and the church is going to take off from there. You see, we access the power and the presence of Christ in our lives through prayer. We access the presence and the power of Jesus Christ among us when we seek his face. Jesus says to them, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, how is that going to be? How is that going to occur? The Spirit of God is going to come in Acts chapter 2, and He's going to fill them. And they're going to start to pray. And the disciples are going to change. And they're going to start to preach. And they're going to start to teach. And they're going to start to go place to place and tell other people about Jesus Christ. And churches are going to be planted. And the Apostle Paul is going to be converted in Acts chapter 9. And then all of a sudden, churches are going to be planted all over doing the same things, worshiping the same God as we are at Central Baptist Church, doing the same thing we're doing this morning, hearing God's word, singing to him, praying to him, giving to him, serving one another, making disciples of all people. So we pray together. How do we do that? We do that individually, of course. But we do that corporately and collectively. We do that through prayer nights as we've been doing this past summer. We do that on Sunday mornings in our services. We come together and we pray. It's not an add-on to our service. It is what we do. It is what moves the heart of God when his people seek him, when his people want him, when his people want to hear from him. He moves. You know, a moment ago, we're praying through uh, when it comes to breakthrough in our lives. Why do we pray for that? Do you believe that God can move in your life? You've prayed over a particular matter time and time again, but there is something powerful. Listen, church, there is something powerful when other people come around you or they are there in the room and they're pouring their hearts out on your behalf. There is something that moves the heart of God. It's not just for you. It doesn't make you just feel better. God moves when his people pray. Just read your Bibles. And what you see is at the heart of the local church is prayer. At the heart of the local church is God's people coming together and praying well together. So pray in your Bible study classes. Don't just pray really quick and move on. Pray in your classes. Pray when we come together. And let's pray well. It's the heart of making disciples. We share Christ, we teach truth, we pray well together. We do this on a regular basis. Finally, Jesus told them where to make disciples. I want you to notice back in chapter um, 2, I'm sorry, in chapter 28, and he says in verse 18, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples where? All nations. What a great, important place that we see that. Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Look at this verse. Jesus said to them, comes to his disciples, and he says to them, and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. When he pulls his disciples together, he walks into the waters as these men are just doing their regular work. They're fishermen. He says to them, follow me. In other words, leave your nets, leave the water, and I will make you fishers of men had a chance to go fish on Friday. So I'm out in the Gulf. 
we're out there and we're trying to limit out on our red snapper, right? We come up on this place and we're starting to fish and we drop our hooks and we, somebody on the, on the boat catches this amberjack and pulls it in. It's this huge fish and then we start to fish again and all of a sudden people start catching red snapper and it's like within 30 minutes to an hour, something like that, we all of a sudden limit out. But here's what was cool is as someone's bringing in a fish, there's another guy running around on the boat behind and going, catch another one, catch another one, catch another one. And we're hauling in red snapper one after another after another. And you know what happens when someone hooks a fish on a boat when you're that far out? Everybody on the boat gets all excited, don't they? Everybody looks around and goes, fish on, or look, go. And what do they do? They start looking over. I see color, right? You're doing all of those things, right? And I think about this verse, Mark 1, 17. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We ought to get as excited about someone who is getting fish, someone who is giving their life to Jesus Christ as we do about a massive amberjack or red snapper or whatever fish you've got on your line. Because that's what God's called us to do. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. These men who are about to follow him, they got excited when they pulled in the big net of fish. They started high-fiving and fist-bumping each other, hugging each other. I can't believe this day. And Jesus looks at him and says, oh, follow me. Follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to get just as excited about that as you are about these fish that you're hauling in. This is what Jesus calls us to. We're to make disciples locally. We're to make disciples globally. What an incredible word that Jesus uses here. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That word is ethne, ta ethne is the Greek word there. It's where we get ethnic group or ethnicity. You see, when God looks at the world today, he doesn't see Germany. He doesn't see the United States. As much as we love the United States, what God looks back, he doesn't see the United States. He sees the tapestry of the thousands of people groups across the world that he has created. In fact, the Bible says, or not the Bible, but the International Mission Board tells us that there are over 12,000 different people groups, 12,019 to be exact, that have been discovered across the world today. 12,019 ethnic groups, people groups. And so we don't reach the nations first, we reach our Jerusalem first, right? We reach our community first. So we are to have a burden for Livingston and Polk County. You're to have a burden for your neighborhood and your street. You're to have a burden for your groups in in our community that you interact with on a regular basis. We're to have a burden for those individuals. We're to think locally, but we're also to think globally. The over 12,000 people groups, but even more specific than that, what the International Mission Board tells us is that there are over 3,000, 3,180 currently to this day unreached, unengaged people groups. You see, the mission to reach the nations has not been completed. There's over 3,000 people groups that have never even heard the name of Jesus before. You say, well, how in the world is that possible in our world today? Well, there's a reason why over 3,000 people groups haven't been reached. It's hard to reach them. Some of them are extremely dangerous to reach. Some of them are really hard to find. What God wants us to understand is to have a burden, and we are to pray towards, and we are to go, we are to give towards reaching not only our community, not only our schools, not only our county, and not only our state and our nation, but the nations of the world should burden us 
That's what we do. And so we're to think globally. We're also to think locally. How do we do that? We pray towards those people groups. We give towards missions offerings. We go when opportunities come before us. So here it is. What God wants us to do as a church is we're to lead people who are far from God to find, to live, and to share the life of Jesus. That's what what God wants us to be about. Say, well, who are the people who are far from God? I'm not talking about drug addicts. I'm not talking about the people that you look at and you just from from a distance and from an eye say, oh yeah, they're far from God. I'm talking about the people who live on the lake, who've worked all their lives and have full 401ks and they're enjoying their best life. And they got the boats and they got the jet skis and they got the grandkids coming up. And yet, if they've not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, they are as far from God as the person who's so eaten up with addictions living on the streets of Livingston, Texas. I'm talking about the people who have it all together. They may be just as far from God, and yet they have replaced a devotion for Jesus Christ with religious activity. Maybe they come to church. Maybe they've been a member of a church. Maybe they've come all of their life, but they have no life transformation. The gospel of Jesus is so foreign to them, they are eaten up with religious activity. They're far from God, but they don't have life. I'm talking about the students at school who are on their way successful, maybe not successful, maybe on a sports team, maybe on the band, maybe it's a school teacher, maybe it's someone that's around you who is far from God and needs Jesus Christ. They've never experienced life. I'm talking about the people who make a lot of money, the people who don't make very much at all. Some are far from God, but what they need is they need life, and we need to share that life with others. We need to give that life to them. They need to find that life. They need to understand how to live that life as we live this life. We need to share that life with other people. Love what John 10.10 teaches us. It's an incredible verse. As a thief comes to only to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. What a contrast. What Satan wants to do is to get us really busy. He wants to make us really successful so we don't give God the time of day. He wants us to be eaten up with anger and bitterness over what someone has done to us in the past to cause us to blame God. So we'll tempt someone into abusing us so that then we become angry at God for allowing us to be in that particular situation. And so we live our lives, all of our lives, bitter and angry at a God which has done nothing to us. But someone has sinned against us. But Satan's really good at stealing our joy and killing and destroying our lives and destroying our marriages and destroying our families. But then Jesus bursts onto the scene. He says, I have come that they may have life, have it abundantly. Jesus has promised you and I abundant life. But it's not just automatically given to us. We have to receive it. We have to learn of it. We have to hear of it. We have to learn of it. We have to give ourselves to a God who is willing to give us life, and he promises to give us life. 
He promises to forgive us. He promises to restore us. He promises to redeem us and to draw us near to him into this incredible, abundant, living, thriving relationship with him. And then he gives us this incredible privilege to share that life with others on our way to an eternal life that he's provided for us. Oh, that's what God's called us to be. That's what God's called us to do. We're to lead people who are really far from God to find life and then to live that life and to share that life with others. I'm reminded that the kingdom of God is so much bigger than us. I want to be in the fight. I want to be in the fight of, 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 of picking up that mission, of seeing a community transformed, seeing the one-mile radius of our church transformed, over 2,000 people living within a one-mile radius of our church, over 900 families living within a one-mile radius of our church here in Polk County, over 41,000 people living within a 20-minute drive of Central Baptist Church, 41,000. 41,000, 20-minute drive. There's no confusion on our mission field. We pray towards our community. We give so that we can reach our community. We go into our community as we are thinking locally, we are thinking globally. As we go, we want to make disciples. That begins when we are disciples. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Here's our invitation this morning. There are some of us in the room who are not followers of Jesus yet, and I'm going to give you a chance to come forward as we sing, stand and sing a song together and say you're ready to give your life to Jesus. That's simply the invitation. He's perfect in every way. God loves you, but because of your sin, you're cut off from him. Oh, he's near to you right here. But in order for him to come into your life to save you, you know, you've got to repent. You've got to change your mind about how you're going to somehow please God. And it's not of yourself. You've got to turn and you've got to believe that he can save you. And you've got to surrender and he will save you. So we're going to stand and sing a song together and you Come forward if you want to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. But here's what I'm going to say to our congregation this morning. If there's someone who's on your heart that you've been praying for, man, you're just burdened by them, coming to faith in Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do something different today than just sitting there or standing and singing. If you've got somebody that you are just burdened over a name that's popping into your mind right now, I'm going to ask you to come forward and just kneel at the front. Or if you're physically able, just come and sit on the front rows. There's four of them across the front. If you can't physically kneel, you just come and we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our community. We're going to pray for them. And then we're going to pray for the nations. We're going to pray and ask God that we would become a disciple-making people. And so this morning, let's stand and sing. I'm going to have a quick word of prayer. If you want to come and give your life to Christ, you come to me. Otherwise, you come forward, and we're going to pray at the end of our song together. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning for your word. We pray this morning that you would move in our hearts now and stir our hearts, that you would listen to us as we cry out to you for spiritual breakthrough in the lives of people 
that are near and dear to our hearts. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Those of you here at the front, you can stay kneeling. We're going to have a time of prayer for, uh, for those that you've been praying for this morning. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll bring our service here to a conclusion. But let's continue to pray for each other, okay? And let's pray for God to move uh, among us. Father, we thank you for um, 
the names that you've laid on our hearts this morning, their family members, their moms, their dads, their husbands, their wives, their kids, their really close friends of ours at school, their neighbors, their acquaintances, God, their coworkers, their bosses, their colleagues. These are people, Lord, that mean a lot to us. Um, but they mean so much more to you because you created them in your image, just as you did us. And you have so much love for them, so much that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for them. And so God, we just, we lift their their names up to you. We pray that you would uh, break the strongholds in their lives. You would bring them to faith in Jesus, your son and that your Holy Spirit would transform their hearts, your word. And so we give their names over to you. We continue to pray for, you, for them. But Lord, we pray for our community. We pray, God, that you would transform it, change it, that we would be a shining light as a church in this community, Lord. That we would be the place that is known in our community, a place where there is true life that is found in Jesus, your son. And so, God, thank you for the time that we've had to pray and worship you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Before we close our service out this morning, um, a couple very quick things. Um, First of all, we want to encourage you to give this morning as an act of worship, of course, as we always do every Sunday. So when you leave today at the boxes there at the doorways, we want to encourage you to give your tithes. We want to encourage you to give your offerings. Um, you can give online very safely and easily. That's how our family gives. And so we want to encourage you to do that through our website. But there are ways that you can give to our church. We, of course, want to encourage you to be a part of a Bible study class on Sundays. Um, but also take advantage of what we're doing on Wednesday nights, on Wednesday nights and Thursday mornings. We had more people here on Wednesday night and Thursday this past week than we did the first week, so praise God for that. Um, So those groups are growing. Classes are growing. Ministries are growing there on Wednesdays and Thursday mornings, so we want to encourage you to take part in that. That's how we're intentionally trying to be disciples and grow in the faith, and so we we want to encourage you to be a part of that. And so if you don't have a class to go to, If you have a question about anything on Wednesdays or Thursdays, you come see me, and I'll uh, do my best to answer that for you, get you directed in the right place. Or if you need help finding a class on a Sunday morning, um, then uh, you just come see me. We'll uh, we'll find you the right teacher, the right place to go, so you can uh, plug into one of our small groups on Sunday mornings, okay? Now, before we close today, we have some new members last Sunday night that... uh, uh, we voted in, and so I just want to introduce them all to you. We had 10 new members here, and so the, if you're in the room, your name's on the board, come on forward, okay? And I want you to stretch across the front here. We have some brand new folks that are part of our fellowship, and we want to welcome them officially. Y'all just spread across the front here. And so we want to welcome them. Some have been attending a long time. Some have been a little bit uh, newer to our church, but um, we've got a simple gift for you, and we're going to pray over y'all, and then we're going to close out the service. All right, so one per family. How about that? A little gift from our church, so we want to officially welcome y'all. And so let me get this down the row. Here, here we go. There we go. Here. Here, you guys get two. How about that? Since I carried it. 
<laughs> hey, y'all welcome them to our church, our congregation. Yeah. And uh, we're so thankful to have them, and uh, the invitation is always open for those who want to become a part of our church family and start that process of joining our church. So we welcome them. Y'all stay here at the front. We're going to close with prayer. And might have a few people coming forward and just welcome you guys, okay, officially. Let me have a quick word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. God, thank you for the service this morning. Thank you, Father, for your word and how you direct our steps and guide us in your pathway um, for our church and how we're to live our lives here in this community and around the world. God, we thank you for our new members. Thank you for these families that you have called to be a part of our church family. And thank you, God, for um, uh, what you're doing in them and through them as they come into our congregation. And Father, thank you for uh, the, the time that we've had to give to you, our tithes and our offerings. We pray that you would bless them and multiply them and use them here locally, God, in our church as well as globally as we give to great things that you're doing around the world. So Lord, go with us this morning and bless the rest of our day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You're dismissed.